Today on episode number 625 of the School of Podcasting, I'm interviewing Kyle Gray. He's the author of the book, The Story Engine. He's got some really cool insights into identifying your audience's core problems and how to write content about that. We also have some quick questions about the new Google Podcast app and castbox.fm got caught with their pants down. Hit it, ladies. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005, I'm your award-winning Hall of Fame podcast consultant, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. This is where I help you massage your message. I help you tackle the technology, face your fears, flatten that learning curve, and get you on the road to not just podcasting, because you can go watch a bunch of old outdated YouTube videos for that, get you podcasting in the right way, in the headache-free way, in the, hey, I didn't have to mortgage my house for equipment way. My website is schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER, that's L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, when you sign up on either a monthly, yearly subscription, or if you want to buy a class a la carte. And I always like to start off with a because of my podcast story. We got a special one today. And what's great about this story is it's my buddy Monica Rivera from you want to do what.com, the podcast that gives you the nudge you need. And I love it. Be- well, I don't love it, but she talks about how she applied to something that Spotify was doing and got rejected. She applied to a local radio boot camp and got rejected. She replied there and got rejected and got rejected and got rejected. And she she did eventually have one that kind of like got her a little bit down, but not really. But listen to this attitude. One of the great things that happened to me from that radio boot camp, my pitch for my story was rejected. And I remember I went back to the woman, I sent her an email and I asked her, hey, I know you have tons of work to do, tons of emails you receive. But if you get a minute, could you share with me what I could have done in order to make my pitch more appealing or compelling? Two days later, the woman actually sent back a really lengthy response. And she broke down exactly what makes a good pitch versus a not so good pitch. And she gave me examples, real examples that I could sink my teeth into and understand. My very first job out of college the company I worked for had two big signs on every wall. One was constant improvement. And that's just in my nature. It's in my DNA. Being a teacher, I constantly believe that we can always improve. And the other one was seize the day. And so I love the fact that Monica was like, okay, how can I learn from this rejection? And by having that kind of attitude of like, hey, you know what? Maybe I can do this better. She swung the bat one more time and well, because of her podcast. One of the programs I applied for was a next generation radio program from NPR. And do you know what, guys? I got it. I was accepted into the NPR program. So in July, I will go to Seattle and I will learn from an exceptional group of people how to become better at all of this. So I was very happy to hear that Monica got that position. That's very cool. And if you can answer that question because of my podcast, Blank. In other words, something happened that normally wouldn't happen, except, hey, you had a podcast. And in Monica's case, just the experience of recording, in this case now, 52 episodes, I highly recommend you go over and check out her latest episode. I'll put links to that out in the show notes, which, of course, is at schoolofpodcasting.com slash 625. to a book called The Story Engine, An Entrepreneur's Guide to Content Strategy and Brand Storytelling 
without spending all day writing. The author is Kyle Gray, and I read the first chapter and was like, oh, wow, this should be really, really cool. Because Kyle worked at WP Curve uh, back in 2014. Uh, WP Curve is a company that basically provides WordPress support. And at the time, Dan Norris was, I believe, the CEO. He's the author of the book, The Seven Day Startup. And Kyle worked with Dan to basically bring WP Curve into the mainstream. Because I remember for a while, every time I turned around, there was another great piece of content from this company named WP Curve. And every time I turned around, I started hearing about him. WP Curve, WP Curve. Well, guess what? Eventually, they ended up generating seven figures in recurring revenue and got bought by GoDaddy. And so this is a guy that understands content. Now, in the book, he talks about actually developing a team and how does this going to be expandable into a whole team. And I explained to him, I said, look, for many of us, we're not working with a team. It's a, uh, we are an army of one, and but there's still a ton of great content. And so here's my interview with Kyle Gray, author of the book, The Story Engine. So Kyle, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm really excited to be here. So while you're here, I read your book. It's an awesome book. It really got me thinking. And you've worked with these great companies like WP Curve, who were these little companies and they needed exposure. That's what podcasters need. We need exposure. We need to get found. And you did that for WP Curve. You've done it for other companies. And one of the key components to that was creating great content. So let's start with that. What do you feel is great content? What we focused on at WP Curve was cutting out um, some of the some of the pieces of feedback, some of the main things that I really took away that you can see the influence of that in in my writing these days is you want to just cut out the fluff and get straight to actionable, empowering information that's really going to move the needle for your audience. What I think that one of the good things that content does, one of the ways that you can build a relationship with somebody is by giving them content that's going to give them, uh, again, actionable or give them a quick win is is some of the, the best kind of content I like. Something that they can take an idea away from whatever you've created and apply it to their lives and feel feel like it's been a good thing. And the reason why this is so important above all other above all other things in some ways is because you you and I and everybody listening, we've got a whole slew of problems, you know, at least ninety-nine problems. <laughs> And we, we can pick and choose what problems we're going to solve. We can't solve them all today. Um, we can't solve them all tomorrow. In fact, most of them we're just going to have to ignore and just pick a tiny handful. And so which ones do we choose to solve? The ones where, like, the ones that are most painful. My hair is literally on fire right now. <laughs> Not going to be thinking about anything else, right? Number two is the ones that we feel most empowered to solve or uh, that we feel we're, we're able to solve easily, or they have a big upside. But a lot of us will, will stay away from problems that maybe have a huge upside, but we don't feel empowered to solve them because it's like, oh, uh, you know, and, and maybe in your early, early stages of business, oh, I want to set up an LLC, but I don't really know how to do that, so I'm just going to put it off. Or I want to get ready for tax season, but I'm just... Oh, that sounds like a mess. I just want to put that off. Or I want to figure out SEO, but 
oh, it just sounds like a pain. I'm going to put it off. So if you can, if you can create content that not only you, you not only want to build trust in yourself and who you are and like, I'm an authority and help, I can help you with this, but your content wants to empower them so that they feel able to solve the problem that you're discussing. You know, for example, you're running the school of podcasting. If someone's like, well, I could do a podcast or I could do something else. If they're feeling like, well, podcasting, like, I don't really know. I don't really feel empowered about it. They'll put that on the back burner. And that's why so many great projects go on the back burner is, is because most people see them as giant, you know, things to be tackled. And, and if we can just give them a little bit of a win and let them feel a little bit of progress moving towards that with what we create and what we teach, then they're much more likely to see it through and continue on this journey and continue solving this problem and continue working with us. That's it. We just got to give them enough motivation to take one step and then the next article will get them to take another step and another step and get them going. And once they start moving, then now we got them going in the right direction and hopefully in our direction. You also had a great point at the beginning of the book. What are like realistic expectations? How long do you think it takes for to, to really start before you start seeing like actual traffic to your website? You know, I can I can give you some personal experience with the Story Engine book. I released a website or I put out a it was a landing page pretty much for the first four or five months of it. But I started building a website with a lot of content around that at the beginning of September. I've started to see a lot of traction. It, it takes about six months if you're really consistently applying yourself, you're producing something every week. And you've got alignment with an audience and a good way to retain the audience. There's a lot of, of different factors in play. But I think six months is is the minimum that you want to look for. On top of that, like there's there's much more benefits to content than just um, starting to see the organic search traffic or the or kind of the other revenues or things coming in that I would, I would advise everybody to focus on, especially on the early stages of what their content is. So for example, yes, it's going to take a while to get that big stuff, but you can start creating valuable relationships with your content right now. The reason that I love content marketing is, or the reason that it gets me excited to do it in the mornings is so that I can wake up and I get to meet new people and have interesting conversations. And so a lot of the work I do involves collaborating with other influencers in my space with people who are brilliant that I can learn from that I'm excited to meet and know like yourself. And so if you change the focus from, I need to get traffic, I need to get social shares, I need to get those things, which are all very important things and should not be, their value should not be discounted. But if you start thinking, who can I build a relationship with today? And through your collaboration, you have a successful relationship and maybe maybe they really enjoyed the content. You make them look like a rock star on the content that you create together. And it's valuable to both your audience and their audience. They might share it, give you that little traffic boost and that awareness and the backlinks that you're starting to look for. But hopefully now you've got a new friend, you've got a new collaborator in the process, and maybe they're going to send you a client someday. Maybe they're going to tell you about the event that you really need to go to, to, to move your business forward. Maybe uh, there's a there's hundred different ways that you know this can go from there. And I've, I've got all kinds of stories of people who I've met just through collaborating with content that have unfolded into 
amazing business partnerships, uh, amazing collaborative opportunities, good friendships, people that, you know, I've spoken with and worked with for years online. And then we see each other at an event and it's, it's fantastic. There's so much more to creating great content than just expecting the, the traffic results. There's so much more value in it. And if you can see the whole picture of the value you're creating, and if you can see not just building a relationship with your audience, but with your peers in your industry, you're going to, you won't feel like you're in the, the echo chamber. Yeah, it's, I always use the analogy of so many people want to lose weight and they just keep saying, I need the scale to go down. And kind of what you're saying is, look, if you focus on eating right and exercising and taking the steps that it takes to make the, the scale go down, if you focus on your content and on your relationships, then eventually you're going to get that traffic just through almost like osmosis and, and synergy of working with other people. So how long does it take, do you think? I don't know if you can even answer this. Like if you're going to sit down and write an article, because I'm, I'm sure every article is different, but is there an average like what it takes to to create a good piece of content? I think, you know, for me, um, well, we'll define like a, a Kyle Gray article as usually 2,000 to 3,000 words, but they can, they can be much longer than that. A good piece of content as, as far as like my, my definition of things would also be, and, and if we're speaking on written content, you've got to have mixed media and visuals in there. So um, I kind of have an unspoken rule on my site where usually if you're scrolling down through my site, at least on a on like a, a normal laptop size monitor, I don't know for like the huge stock trading monitors what my content looks like on those <laughs> things. But you should be able to scroll down and there's always an image. There's always a visual as well. And so that takes time. But if I'm writing it on my own, I would say like five to 10 hours for an article like that. And, you know, there's a lot of different things that that can come into play for that. If you come up with an outline and you come up with your key points and you kind of have links and all of these things all ready to go, and then you show up the next day and you're ready to write, you can bust an article out pretty fast. If you start out and you're like, I'm going to write an article today and open up new document, that's going to take a little bit longer. <laughs> so there's there's all kinds of factors that, that can go into play for that. Also, like what kind of images are you creating? I found, especially when I'm collaborating with people, one of my favorite in, kind of images to create is just get a great looking picture of them and put a quote next to it. Because all you do, I mean, if you're if you're all over Instagram and you're all over uh, uh, Facebook, like most of the feeds these days are like, you know, Martin Luther King quotes or like just famous people quote memes about whatever. And I just like to create those for the people I collaborate with and make them look like a rock star. And that makes for great social media sharing. It makes them feel good to be on the site. And it's good visual content. Even if it's just a nice little quote, it kind of accents things similar to how journalists and newspapers and, and print magazines like to build out um, some specific power quotes. So I love to do those for images but again and if you really want to create like a huge comprehensive article i've got one article called uh, how to use visual storytelling to 10x your marketing results which is nearly like a 6000 word article and and that probably took 20 to 30 hours to make um and it involved a lot of like reaching out to different people a lot of researching <laughs> another thing that i think is essential for good quality, uh, especially written content is when you make a statement, you've got to like, this is like old school, you know, college paper kind of stuff, but you got to back it up with some evidence. Right. 
Um, so back it up with explain or, or examples, you know, if you make a statement, um, about how you should design a site, you should show a site that either does it well and explain why they do it well, or explain a site that doesn't do it well. Using negative examples is sometimes dangerous because you might, you might upset people <laughs> sometimes if, if, uh, if they see that you're listing them as a negative example. But, uh, but sometimes, you know, they need it. Well, the other thing you, you mentioned, without it being an SEO book, you, you talk about some great, you have a ton of tools in this thing that I'm just like, okay, got to go check that out, got to go check that out. But you talk about keywords, and I know I've heard some people say, well, as long as you write for humans and you're writing about your topic, keywords aren't that important. And I get the feeling you would, you would pretty much vehemently disagree with that. Is that correct? Well, not entirely. That was, that was my philosophy for a long time. But I do think that there needs to be some structure to it. And so um, how I have approached keywords, um, because it's, it's a time intensive process figuring out keywords, but there's an easier way to do it. And so what I use is I call it the core problem uh, philosophy or the core problem process. And so basically how I address this is I say for every blog, uh, for, for the content you're creating, you should pick three to five main categories, main core problems that you want to target. These core problems should be broad enough that you can write endlessly about them, but narrow enough that somebody immediately understands what they are. So for WP Curve, that was one was content marketing. One was working on remote teams. One was uh, product launches. One was business growth. And so it was things that they could, if somebody was like reading an article, they could know that it was about them and it was specific, but also you can write a lot of different content in those areas. But the good thing about each of those core problems is you can do batch keyword research. So instead of coming up with an article and then trying to figure out what keywords you want to sprinkle in, you can have, you can know, okay, well, I'm writing this inside my product launch articles and you can just have a pre-populated little menu of keywords up in another screen right next to the article you're writing. And so you can say, okay, let's squeeze this one in here. Let's squeeze this one in there. So you still get that organic content creation feel, but you're consistently targeting those keywords. And of course, I would recommend if you really want to have a strong keyword strategy, pick the really high value ones and then write an amazing, huge article um, are just like very detailed, very powerful, very actionable article um, that's targeting that really big high value keyword and then have a bunch of articles that always refer to and relate to it that target smaller keywords. And that's a great way to that means that your core problems are all interlinked. It also makes your email marketing on the back end easier. So so I would also say for every core problem, have a useful download or opt in. And then if somebody downloads in the remote team core problem, then they're probably going to be interested in other remote team content. So, you know, you can send them email saying, hey, check out this, check out that and an automation and add value to them that way because they've already raised their hand in some way of what's relevant. It also helps you sell your products to them a little bit better if they're saying, hey, I want to work with remote teams. Oh, well, for example, WP Curve, the last thing you want uh, in managing a remote team is yet another person on your team, another developer. So let, let us handle that for you so you can focus on building out your core team. So it helps you with your copywriting and your sales as well by segmenting your audience. And so by, again, by just 
focusing on core problems and building strategies around what problems you want to target and consistently using content around it. It takes a lot of the the work out of the long run process. Well, and one of the things you mentioned in it, when you talked about the core problems, you said you could take, like you just listed like four core problems. You can take those core problems and then attack them from many different angles. Can you give an example of that? One of the examples I do on on my site, uh, one of my core problems right now is storytelling. So I want to be ranking for storytelling for business and storytelling, you know, for copywriting and content marketers. So how I approach that with many different angles is I attack different areas of storytelling. So I've got an article 26 tips for storytelling for content marketers, which is lots of different, you know, small storytelling tips that can be used that are taken from movies or taken from books or taken from wherever and explained in a good content marketing format. But those can be applied to anything. And then I can also say visual storytelling, which is a, a strong keyword. And that's a different kind of storytelling. Like you want to have good images. You want to explain what's going on. This is more photography or composure and design. And how do you use visual storytelling within your content, which is totally different from just kind of your your basic storytelling tips. So that's a different angle on it. This this might be a really tough question. You have a lot of tools in the book. You, you mentioned Sumo and there's places like Quora for getting ideas for questions and things like that. If you only had... To- to pick, let's say three for making great content, what would be the three that you would use? The first one is the content strategy template. That's one of my own tools in the book right now. I think I'm, I'm upgrading it shortly to a slide deck, but right now it's just a Google doc that asks a, a few certain questions about like, who are you? What is your purpose? What is your mission? Why are you doing this? It asks the basic questions about your strategy, which you need to, an- you need to be able to answer. It's valuable because most people don't go into content marketing without having answers to these questions and end up uh, just like sinking a lot of time and effort into places that it wasn't necessary. And it's also essential when you do want to start scaling up what you're doing, that you can have a simple document that you can hand off to somebody else and say, this is the vision, this is the mission here. And so that's, it, it keeps you consistent. It keeps you from getting shiny object syndrome and going in every direction and what you're doing in your marketing. And especially in the early stages of your marketing, you need consistency because it's so easy when you're not getting a lot of results to be like, oh, well, if I just incorporate one more thing, you know, into the mix, then maybe finally it'll work. When really it's just like you just need to uh, keep going a little bit longer. And by incorporating other things, you're going to distract yourself. So that's a big one. I think a great tool if we're talking about a, a piece of software. I really love Trello. I've used Trello for so many different things. It's free. It's great for project management. I use it to help track which blog posts I'm creating, put my ideas together. I've used it to for all of the books that I've written and am writing. I write them using Trello to keep things organized. I use it to keep editorial calendars. Um, There's so many different things, an excellent, excellent project management tool. And for somebody who needs help with like publication and producing or promotion, I really like CoSchedule. I think that that's a great, it's for WordPress users, or maybe, maybe they've expanded to other, other platforms now. But what I like about CoSchedule is it helps you 
plan out your content when it's going to be published. And it also works like a, like a buffer or a Hootsuite to schedule out your social media for your uh, content right inside of WordPress. So it keeps everything contained in one really nice platform. So I've, I've really enjoyed them. And one free thing that that CoSchedule offers in particular that that is excellent, especially for people who are creating all kinds of content, they have a free headline analyzer. That's fantastic. So it, it'll you can paste in a headline for the content you want to create, and it'll give you really good suggestions on how to improve it. Of course, it's a robot, so only trust it so much. But like, it's it's great when you're feeling some writer's block and want to come up with some great article title ideas. Absolutely. And you can find those resources over at storyengine.co slash resources. You've got a ton of stuff over there if you uh, want to check that out. And again, the book is called Story Engine. And do you have a podcast that people can listen to? Are you just one of those now nah, more of a writer? Actually, I'm just starting up my podcast right now. I did my first interview not long before this interview. So for a long time, I've had this process of uh, for the last you know few months, I would call somebody on, or I'd bring somebody on to uh, a call just like this. I'd record the call and I'd actually have somebody outline it and then turn it into a really nice, well-written article. And uh, I was just talking to my assistant recently saying like, hey, why don't we put this into a podcast? And she's like, sure. Yeah, I'm helping other people produce podcasts right now. And I'm like, oh. It's been sitting under, you know, it's been sitting under my nose for so long. And people have literally, I think I mentioned this on a, on a call we had before, but like, I'm, I'm like, maybe not literally, don't, don't really take this literally, but people are, are figuratively like threatening me with violence if I don't start a <laughs> podcast soon. So it's on. So stay tuned for the story engine. You'll see, you'll see the podcast out soon. But in the meantime, there's lots of great infographics on storytelling and great content that you can dig into really useful resources and downloads to help you with content marketing and the books recently out on audible. So if you, if you can't get enough of my radio voice for right now, that's where you can find some more. I really like the book. It's one of those things, if you can get me thinking and, and like you said, if you can solve somebody's problems and you explain in the book multiple times where it's like, here's what you need to do. Here's how I do it. This tool is really cool. If you just do this and this and that, then it spits this out and you can take this and do this and that. And I was like, well, it just makes it sound so easy, which we all know it's not, but it's like, it seems achievable. So Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Dave. It's been a blast. Kyle, thank you so much. Again, you can find everything he mentioned at thestoryengine.co. Lots of resources, all sorts of fun stuff. He actually has a course over there as well. Let's talk about some of the things he mentioned there. Number one, he was talking about blog posts and you might be saying, Dave, why'd you bring a blogger on here? But really we talk about podcasts. The bottom line is we're all content creators. So you basically heard where he's not winging it. There's planning involved and he does things that other people may not be doing like finding graphics to go with the episode. I love the, uh, the suggestion of pulling a quote and putting it with a picture. If you're doing interviews, he said, even if you spend hours on your content, it may take up to maybe even six months to see any kind of traffic. I thought that was an interesting tip. And that just, again, I always like to point out to people, if you're looking to quit your job in six weeks, podcasting is not the vehicle for that. In most cases, uh, I love that good content helps your audience. And you may be thinking, but Dave, I, I do a comedy podcast. What What's the problem here? Well, your audience's problem is they just watched the news or had a horrible day at work and it's now your job to make them smile. 
He also talked about how to identify key problems from your audience and, and make a lead magnet that you can give away. That's a great strategy that, that not everyone does. And mainly because it takes time to do that kind of stuff. And speaking of lead magnets, I should bring up our July question of the month. And that is, do you have an email list? And if so, what is your lead magnet or what are you doing to grow your list? If you want to share how big it is, that'd be great. I need that by July 27th. Again, the question, and all you have to do is go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash contact. If you're emailing me, the email is dave at schoolofpodcasting.com. Please put July question in the subject line so I don't lose it. One other thing he also said is that the book, again, the story engine book, you can also get this at Audible. And if you want to get it for free, just check out schoolofpodcasting.com slash free book. Last week, Google unveiled their Google Podcasts app, and this has left people with a, a few questions, so I thought I would just answer these quickly. How do I know if my show is in Google Podcasts? Because there's a really good chance that it is. I will put a link out in the show notes, schoolofpodcasting.com slash 625. You click on that, you put in your RSS feed, and it will probably more than likely spit out your link to your Google, your show in, in the Google podcast app. And they have uh, some branding assets that you can download for a button and things like that. So you put the button on your site, you attach the link to your show in Google podcasts and you're good to go. But what if I'm not? Well, then you have to add a little bit of code to your website. And if you're not familiar with adding things to the header of your website, you might want to contact somebody who does. Uh, if I'm in Google play music, do I need to do anything? These are completely separate kind of tools. So just because you're in Google Play Music does not mean you're in Google Podcast. Again, to find out, go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash 625 and click on the link to go to the preview page. But uh, my also, nobody's going to say this out loud. I will. I am. I definitely feel that Google Play Music will not make it to 2019. I just, I don't see it going that way. They're moving a lot of things into YouTube. I just don't think we're going to see it. Plus that particular Google Play Music never went global. I believe that was only in North America. A Google podcast is global. And the one thing I do like about this now there's when you open up the app, it is not exactly what I would call feature rich. They have a uh, a speed up and slow down feature. And um, yeah, that's it. They uh, in fact, it doesn't even automatically download the episodes. And you have to go into each episode and say, download this. I'm getting on a plane. Download this. I'm getting in the car. Download this. I don't want to use up my, you know, uh, data plan. Kind of silly that way, but it's a start. What I do like about it is if you do have the link on your website and somebody clicks on that on Android, they subscribe to your show like in a heartbeat. That is the part I really, really like. So we are assuming we are praying that this rather feature light app will get more features as time goes on. I would just point to Google and go see this thing called overcast. Do that on an Android and you're good to go. But that's the uh, quick update on Google podcasts. And again, go out to school podcasting.com slash six, two, five. I've got links to help you to make sure you're, you're in the app and things of that nature. I would go into it here, but in an audio format, it's just pointless. And now it's time for a power rant. 
there is an old saying for people that sing that as long as you sing within your range, people will think you have an endless range. You can sing super low. You can sing super high. But the minute you try to sing outside your range, it just doesn't. People go, wow, that's not good. And so this week, CastBox.fm sang outside of their range and they put all their cards on the table and the card said, we don't understand podcasting. In my opinion, here's what they did. And you can see if you agree with me, your podcast, if we go back to the radio analogy, your RSS feed is like your frequency. Here I am in Ohio. One of our popular frequencies is 100.7. Well, picture what it would be like if I took their frequency, put it out as my own and then change some stuff. Like, I don't know, pointed people to my house instead of their, you know, their sponsors or, or you just, you can't take somebody's frequency and change it. That is podcasting 101. And what's interesting is their, their, uh, apology is saying, oh, well, we were trying first. They said it was internal. Then they said they were trying to boost like search engine results. Well, search engine results are not internal. So that's a little like, Hmm. And then they apologize for uh, like not publicity, privacy issues. It's not privacy issues. It's just, you went into my feed and instead of having it go to school you would have directed it to, I don't know, Castbox. That's bad. That's very bad. Now they didn't do that to me, but they did it to like James Cridlin over at podnews.net. Yeah. He's got screenshots. So the thing that's really sad about this is Pod show back in the day <laughs> before it was Mevio. There was a company called pod show and they did the exact same thing and submitted your feed to iTunes. So you'd go to iTunes. There'd be two feeds. And to say people were a little upset about that is an understatement. Did I mention that pod show blew through $30 million and is no longer in existence? Yeah. So here Castbox basically repeated history. And what's weird is they have this really long apology and didn't really say, well, they did say they changed links to home pages for security reasons. And we're like, security? Re- okay. So it's a little odd. And the other thing I thought was really interesting is their social person said, we are not a host. To which I went to their website where it says, click here to be a f- to host all your files for free. And I'm like, it sure looks like you're a host, which again, just to me, in my opinion, makes me feel like they just don't quite know what they're doing. And they kind of appear, appear that they don't quite get podcasting. Exactly. They did announce that I think they're up to 19 million now in funding that, uh, they're going to try to create premium content now. So, and they're, they're trying to lure people over there by saying, Hey, if you come over to Costbox, you'll be one of our premium artists and we'll spotlight you. And I would simply do this. I would not move my show on a promise. I would find somebody who is doing that and say, Hey, they're adding uh they, they've promised me a whole bunch of exposure. Uh, I see you're doing this plan. You've already signed the, the dotted line. What kind of exposure, what kind of numbers are you getting? So it's uh, it's interesting. I know they're going to be at Podcast Movement. I'll be at Podcast Movement. And uh, I, I will be interested to see if I can talk to somebody there and go, hey, here's a novel idea. Instead of trying to be, because even on uh, The Wolf Den, a podcast, one of a representative was there. He did a, a rather 
shall we just say, unique and interesting way of explaining what his company does. At one point, he explained how the free media hosting they have is so that you can only put your show in CastBox. Like, not in iTunes, not in Google Play, just CastBox. And I'm thinking, um, I don't know how many active users you have over there, but you would have to be really uninformed to think that's a good deal. Talk about getting what you pay for. So, but I will be at podcast movement as will cast box. And uh, maybe I can have a chat with them because really what they're missing is playlists. They have almost everything else. They, they have a really pretty decent app. So I was really happy when they were an app, but now they're kind of getting into all things. And again, I think they're just singing a little bit out of their range. I will be in Philadelphia, July 23rd through the 26th for Podcast Movement. In September, I am speaking at Podcast Minute Atlantic. I'm also speaking at Podcast Movement. I'm also being inducted into the Academy of Podcasters Hall of Fame. Podcast Movement is a blast. I'm really starting to get excited for that. And uh, like I said, September, I'll be again in the Philadelphia area. I'll be speaking at Podcast Mid-Atlantic. I'll have links over these in the show notes. And then in October, baby. Yeah, yeah. That's right. This is I'm I'm super pumped about this. I will be speaking at We Are Podcast 2018. This is in Brisbane, Brisbane. I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. Queensland, better known as Australia. Roy, crikey. So that uh, the tickets are not available for that. It's in 108 days, but uh, you can go over there and sign up. And this is one of the things. This is a small conference. The tickets go on sale and then they sell out. So you kind of need to get in line for this. That's at wearepodcast.com slash 2018. Really, really looking forward to that. You know what else I'm really, really looking forward to? Working with you. I've got multiple plans, multiple budgets, whatever you have. Check it out. Schoolofpodcasting.com slash work with me. You want me to check out just the beginning of your show? Got it handled. You want me to check out your entire show and your website and your content, everything else? Got that handled. I do that with a friend called Eric K. Johnson. We call that the podcast review show. If you just signed up for your media host and don't know what to do. You're like, look, I took a step, but now I'm lost. I can help you with that. I have plans where we can just do one session. I have plans where we can do months of sessions. We can schedule around your schedule, whatever it takes. School of podcasting.com slash work with me. Everything is there. And I really do look forward to working with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. In the future, I'm going to be talking about Trello. We heard Kyle talk about it. I'm actually making a course for that right now for the School of Podcasting. And I'll be giving my review of Subscribe and Follow plugin. Now, some of you are rolling your eyes because that is a plugin from my buddy, Daniel J. Lewis. And it would have to be pretty bad for me to give a bad review. But I've, I've heard about it. I've seen it. I've never used it. But I'll be I'll be adding that to my website here very, very soon. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next week, class is dismissed. Oh.